You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021, I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loistrom uh, 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff, and uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad, uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks, so they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes, uh, and these things are high quality, and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris eight at S A M O R R I S numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote. Uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. My guest today on Uncommentary is a longtime friend, uh, Chris Martin, who is a resident of, are you in Murfreesboro? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, Murfreesboro. For those of you who are outside of Tennessee, it's pronounced Murfreesboro. For those of you who live in there, it's Murfreesboro. For some, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. But anyway, Murfreesboro. It's one of those, one of those colloquial uh, type things. Uh, Chris and I used to work together at um, what was then considered the world's largest Christian publisher of its kind, and you had to say it exactly like that uh, for the, the marketing part to work out right. He is now the content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's a social media marketing and communications consultant, and I would uh, go ahead and say that he's excellent in all of those roles. Uh, he led social media strategy at Lifeway Christian Resources. He followed, an, let's see, who did you follow in that role at Lifeway? Well, at least at least not too long before I did it. I think you did it. Is that right? I did. I was the... Um, I was the one that they tried out everything on, or maybe I tried out everything uh, for the company. But we worked together at Lifeway for a few years, and then um, I departed, and Chris went on for a while, and then he departed. Um, is this this is your second book that we're going to be kind of talking about the content of today? Didn't you didn't you write another book that published with another publisher about like millennials or something? It's funny. You're the only. This is the only podcast where that's come up because you're one of the few people who knows that book exists, including the 300 people who purchased it. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I wrote it with a small little publishing house. I would say, and I think they'd probably agree, it's kind of like glorified self-publishing in a way. Sure. sure. Um, and, and there's nothing uh, wrong with that. I want to hasten to. No, add. no, no, no. It. No. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was really like the only reason I was able to write this book published with B&H, part of our former employer, mm-hmm. is because I wrote that first one and kind of proved that I could do it, you know, and proved to myself, frankly, more than anybody, um, even though very few people even read that book, it was like, oh, I can do this. And after I wrote that first one, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Uh, and then and then here we are. And I just I just finished the draft for the next one. So, so what, so what um, you're saying so yeah, is that anyone who self publishes a book and can manage to sell 300 copies can get a contract with B&H Publishers. Hey, you know, take that to the bank. I'm not an employee there anymore. So, uh, in fact, I, I'm I'm a technically a competitor. So, yes, take those take those uh, proposals to 
I would say Taylor Combs, though he's leaving. Take those to our friends at B&H Publishing. Yeah. Oh, man. Chris Martin, welcome back to Uncommentary. Yeah, thanks for having me back, man. It's good. It's fun to... We don't get to see each other nearly as often as we used to, obviously, when we were working together, uh, but also just in general, because we used to live right down the street from each other. Yeah. We used to carpool to work together yep. every day. Yep. And we didn't just work together. You recruited me to Lifeway. So, yeah. I mean, there's uh, all kind of things that I, I can pat myself on the back for. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it, you. You taught me how to work in the real world. I mean, you were my <laughs> boss at my first real life job. You like, you're like, here's how you do email. Like, here's how you schedule calendar events. All the while, we're working for our friend Ed Stetzer, who's like, you know, I was on Ed's radio show the other day, and oh, like, oh man, gosh. I forgot how 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 fast he moves and how fast he talks. Oh my god! So you how, were you man, were such a the, gracious boss. All the bleeps I'm going to have to get my uh, James to put in here to <laughs> keep this clean. So, um, so a couple of things, uh, you, you are married, uh, Susie and you have a daughter now and a dog. I think that was the dog came first, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah, he he just turned that. five actually. Oh my goodness. He's a little mop, a uh, little Labrador mm-hmm. or golden, golden doodle. Golden. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, you have long time, uh, been involved in social media, um, you're one of the unfortunate people who can't get his own name on Twitter because your name is Chris Martin and there's some singer dude uh, who's world-renowned Coldplay who um, who has your, your name or you have his or whatever. Uh, but even when we were uh, working together and trying to kind of feel our way forward on how social media worked and looked in a corporate setting, you were thinking like well beyond what that looked like specifically uh, into more general, how does it affect us? And then you, as you studied along and kind of thought through and became exposed to Neil Postman and thoughts on sociology and how, how things affected people, uh, you really have become kind of a um, leading voice. Uh, and I wouldn't even just say in the Christian perspective. I mean, I wish you were broad. I wish you were more broadly known than you are because your thoughts are good. Um, so if you can help this, you know, get to like a hundred thousand downloads, you will be more well known than you are. Uh, but your thinking on this is way beyond, especially somebody your age, but most of us who've been on social media for a decade or longer, um, you're well beyond the way that we think about the tool and the way that we think about the systems involved in all those kinds of things. So, um, the first thing I want you to comment on is why did you even write a book about social media? Um, yeah, so, um, you gave a little bit of the background of like, I worked in this forever, um, to go even further back. And I mentioned this in the book a little bit, but I don't know how much we've even talked about this over the years. My dad worked for IBM. I knew that when I was a kid. Yeah. So he worked for IBM. He went to Purdue university, got a computer science degree in like the 70s, like, like late seventies, early eighties. Um, and then got a job at IBM right out of college. Okay. And um, next to next to aerospace engineering, Purdue's pretty well known for, because uh, Neil Armstrong went there and such. Right. Next to that, they're known for computer science stuff. And so that's what he did there and started working for IBM, which was like one of the biggest computing companies in the world in right. the 1980s. Right. Right out of college. And um, so when I was born in 1990, a number of years after he had graduated, he was still working for them and 
he worked from home most of my young adult or most of my young life. So that's really starting amazing. in like 92. Yeah. Yeah. Like starting in 92 or 93, when I was two or three, he was working from home and we actually like a local newspaper came and did like a story, like local man works from home. One of a million Americans. We still have like the clipping. Wow. It's like one of a million Americans who's, he has a second phone line so he can take work calls while his wife is on the phone talking That's to other people. That's hilarious, or, you know, his, man. His son Christopher can sit on his lap when he gets home from school. And, you know, it's <laughs> it was so funny. Um, and there's like a little picture of me sitting in his home office with him. Um, and so being that he was working from home for a computer company, mm. we had a Windows 95 machine in when in 1995. And I was, I was getting on... Um, CompuServe or, or uh, mm-hmm. Prodigy when I was in first grade. We had Prodigy. And so, I was not in first grade. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had Prodigy, even though we kept getting the hundreds of AOL trial discs, <laughs> yes. we weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to get AOL uh, because, because we had free access to Prodigy because it was owned in part by IBM. Okay. So, um, so anyway, I remember getting on this stuff when I was a kid far earlier than, you know, I probably should have, but mm. I was too young to even know like how to get in trouble when yeah. I was in for, it was like, Ooh, I like watching Nickelodeon TV shows. They have a website. Maybe I should go there and check it out or whatever. Yeah. And so I've just always been, I've never been like into building computers or, or like a super technical aspect, but I've always been into like using computers and being on the internet. And ever since I was really small, just cause I was around it so much. And like in high school, I had a, a tech like column in my high school newspaper. I remember the iPhone was announced when I was a junior and I remember like writing like a preview of the iPhone when I was a junior in high school in my little tech column. And so I've just always loved this stuff. Um, and I've always been a little bit of an early adopter of social. Like I was on MySpace before a lot of my friends, I was on like the earliest editions of Reddit and like dig back in the day, which was kind of a Reddit competitor. Did you have a Zanga often? I had a Zanga, so yeah, I had a Zanga, I and I still I have a live journal that still exists. I have a live my first, I don't think second I long after journal. a Zanga. That's funny. Uh, yeah, my live journal still exists. I mostly wrote my live journal early in high school to impress girls, which I would say didn't really work. But then again, the woman who's now my wife was an early reader of that. So, um, so anyway, so yeah. So I've happen. always been in. That's right. So I've always been into that stuff, and so. Uh, in college, I got I have a Bible undergrad and an MDiv. So while I looking back on it, I wish I would have got like a communications degree or a sociology degree. Given mm-hmm. my interests now, um, I worked for a marketing company when I was in college because I knew how to do social and I knew how to write for the internet. Mm-hmm. And so I was working for uh, a few like it was basically a consulting contract firm where I would just write blogs for companies and run their social media and stuff like that. And then you hired me at Lifeway. So I work, I've worked in social media and internet content, I guess, more broadly, basically my whole career, mm-hmm. always really since that college time, trying to figure out how can we use this stuff for, for the kingdom? Like, how can we, how can Christians use this stuff in a way that builds other people up? Not just, not just to make money, not just to sell products or or whatever, but how can we point people to the good news of the gospel through this? And so I was going to say, but in the, in your book, you don't just use the term social media. You're, you're talking about social internet. So explain how you make that distinction. Yeah. So it's, it was in 2016, 2017 
when I started reading Postman and I read mm-hmm. Amusing Ourselves. I actually read Technopoly, another one of his books in college. Okay. But I'd never read Amusing, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And so I read that in 16 or 17. And it was around then that I started to think like, okay, wow. First of all, that book was written in 1985 and is more relevant today than it was in 1985, mm-hmm. arguably. Um, if you just sub out some of the words and technologies right. for more modern ones. Um, and so I read that and I was like, man, I really wish there was somebody like Postman today writing from like a, cr- a kind of Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And I was having trouble finding somebody who was doing that. Now, today, I've since learned of a handful of people mm-hmm. who do that. But back then, I just wasn't aware. So I was like, well, shoot, I'll do it because I'd like to I'd like to read someone like that. So why don't I write like something like mm-hmm. that? So that's why I started writing in the area um, after I'd done all the millennial stuff back when it was, you know, 2013, 14, shortly after I got to life with um, tech. So to the Internet and, and media. So the social Internet versus social media in the book. I use the terms interchangeably, though they are distinct. I use them interchangeably because I don't want people to be too confused. Mm-hmm. But I actually got that idea from Postman, even though he didn't talk about the social internet or social media very much because he died in 2003. Though he did, that I did find a really good talk from him on the information uh, superhighway or the whatever it was called. Yeah, the, that's uh, right. isn't that right? Information the, superhighway? That's right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, and so. So he talked about it in those terms, which is kind of funny to look back on. But he talks about the difference between a technology and a medium, mm-hmm. which I had never understood. I'd never really thought about the difference before. But for anybody who's not aware, a technology is pretty plainly the technology, the like architecture, the ones and zeros, the wiring, right? Like a television is a technology. Mm-hmm. A computer is a technology. The internet is a technology. It's code communicating between servers and Mm -hmm. computers. But media or a medium is the way we use a particular kind of technology to create culture. Mm -hmm. That's what media or a medium is. So on to using the television as an example, the television is the technology, but your sitcom, your reality TV show, believe it or not, that's media Mm -hmm. and culture. Um, and so those, that's, that's how you use the technology to create culture on the internet. You know, we talk about social media all the time. Um, we talk about, if I say the word social media, you, a few apps probably pop into right. people's heads that litter our phone screens. If I say social media, you think, oh, Facebook or, or you think of the content on those platforms. You think of the funny cat videos mm-hmm. or the f- family pictures or that blog post you read that was really insightful. That would be mine. Um, Right, exactly. Uh, but part but part of the purpose of the book is to get us to think more broadly about our relationship with social media, as we call it, to think more about those underlying technologies mm-hmm. that serve up the media to us. So mm-hmm. while there have been plenty of conversations over the years merited about, hey, watch this or don't watch that. That's all valuable, but that's all focused around the media or the culture we create using the internet. I am just as interested in what's the actual technology doing to us? How are the ones and zeros and the algorithm and the mathematical equations, how are those things impacting us beyond just serving us content we find interesting? Mm-hmm. So how are they, how's the the internet as a technology and the social internet more specifically, how are these things affecting us 
before we even get to right. the funny videos or the salacious images on Instagram or whatever else. So that's why I use that term. In the book, I use it interchangeably so we don't get too technical, but but they are a little bit different, and I think it's valuable to know that difference. So we're going to uh, pause right here for just a second to remind you, you're listening to Uncommentary. My guest today is Chris Martin, and we're talking about the social internet, and we'll be right back after this. Hey folks, here's a quick reminder to become a patron for Uncommentary. The $2 and $3 levels are soon going away. Not that they're going to disappear, but they'll be full. Uh, they're capped. So if you'd like to become a sponsor right now, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash uncommentary and go ahead and grab one of those remaining spots at the $2 and $3 level. It won't be long before $5 will be the minimum. And uh, I hope to have a lot more sponsors Going forward, I thank you for every single person who already is and ask that you would consider doing that because it really does help alleviate some burdens, uh, cover some expenses, and occasionally be able to go out to eat or something like that. So um, if you can, do, and I will be greatly appreciative. And don't forget to share, rate, and review in your favorite podcast app. So I want to continue with what you're just talking about Um in how the media itself affects us. So studies are, you know, studies are already coming out and have been for some time talking about how our brains are being rewired or repatterned or whatever. Um, I watched dope sick last week or two weeks ago about the opioid crisis. And one of the facts that they brought out about opioid addiction was it rerouted the circuitry of your brain where you couldn't think right about what you were doing. You were always going back to the opiates. And so getting off of them was a tremendously complex process because you had to let your brain heal and get it wired back to where it needed to be. So it didn't depend on the opioids. So is that what's happening? Uh, I, I seem to remember an article from the guy who founded Napster. I uh, can't remember his name right now, but where he wrote about did he write about the dopamine thing about how they'd already known way back at the beginning of Facebook, how dopamine affected. So talk a little bit about how, uh, social, the social internet literally is changing or affecting our physiology. You got a mind like a steel trap, Marty. Uh, yeah. So it's, um, the article that you saw, I saw plenty of articles as well, but that's actually from an interview that happened like on a stage, um, okay. In 2017, and I actually cite this in the book, in 2017, Mike Allen of Axios, which was relatively new, uh, new news organization mm -hmm. at the time. This has been around since around 2017 or maybe 2016 is when they started. Um, Mike Allen of Axios, Sean Parker is the guy's name. If yes. you have trouble placing him, he is the founder of Napster. He was the first president of Facebook. But if you've seen mm -hmm. The Social Network, the movie from 2013, uh, it's Justin Timberlake's character. If you need a yeah, uh, yeah. face, if you can't imagine who Sean Parker is in real life, it's ju just, <laughs> just imagine, imagine Justin, Justin Timberlake. Timberlake. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> shouldn't be hard for some of you to imagine Justin Timberlake. Um, some of you may be all too willing to imagine Justin Timberlake. No, he's, he's great. I have no problem with Justin Timberlake. He's, he's great. Um, so Sean Parker, not Justin Timberlake, <laughs> uh, um, he said in this interview with Mike Allen, um, he said this, I'm quoting him, the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. 
And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and more comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. The inventors, creators, it's me, Mark Zuckerberg, Kevin Systrom of Instagram, it's all of these people. We understood this consciously and we did it anyway. So that's what he said mm-hmm. in that interview with with Mike mm-hmm. Allen. And he's since said very similar things, as have plenty of other people who were right. involved in the in the process. So they they know what they're doing and and I think all of us if you've seen um The Social Dilemma, the Netflix documentary mm-hmm. came out in twenty twenty or maybe it was twenty twenty one. Yeah, I last, need to go back and rewatch years, that. Those two yeah. years fused together. When that when that movie or that documentary came out on Netflix, I was watching it. And uh, I think it was fall of 2020 or like Labor Day of 2020 because I was just finishing up my manuscript for Terms of Service. And I was about okay. to turn it in. And I was just like – I was like that that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like sitting on a chair. I don't know what it's from. It's like Wolf of Wall Street. And he's like pointing at the TV like, hey, like I <laughs> yeah. recognize that. Or the Spider-Man meme where they're like two Spider-Man pointing at each other. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, they already released the documentary for my book because that documentary is a lot of kind of what I write about. And a lot of the people that are interviewed in that in that documentary yeah. are people that I cite pretty frequently in the book. So um, so anyway, but yeah, like like if you've seen that documentary or you've really read anything about how social media affects us in our brains, this idea won't be new to you. But I think we gloss over it too frequently sometimes and, and just mm-hmm. kind of be like, oh, yeah, but it doesn't affect me. Like, like I'm not beholden to these platforms. Like, I've, oh, I've overcome yes, you this are. sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So. so I have uh, – so I've come to recognize that in myself some time ago. I don't know. If you go back and – listeners, if you go back about a year, Chris was on, and I wouldn't be surprised if I said the exact same thing that I'm about to say. Uh, but I can tell, like, if, if I put my phone in another room – or if I put it out of sight, like I put books on top of it while I'm working to where I can access it if I need to, but it's not within my field of vision, then the way that I approach my work, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm writing a blog post or whether I'm just reading a book or whether I'm working, uh, how I function toward that work is a lot different than if my phone is just to the left of me, which is what I would usually pick it up with my left hand, even if the screen is down. So even if I'm not seeing alerts, if it's in my field of vision, there's there's now a, re, a reflexive reaching for the phone. It's, it's not even – it's automatic. It's not something I do. It's, it's like scratching my head if it itches. Um, and I, re, I recognize that, and I recognize that it's not good. Uh, but like a lot of other people, I am connected to my phone because of work and because of other things. And so learning how to manage that is a challenge for those of us who have let – frankly, let it get out of control uh, before we realized that we were uh, dealing with an issue. Yeah, yeah, it really does kind of become an extension of yourself in a way where some, you know, some people talk about how if they leave their phone at home, it feels like they left a body part behind or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I totally get that. Um, I feel the same thing there. There are too many times I catch myself or my wife catches me scrolling mm-hmm. social media when I'm hanging out with my daughter after work. And it's like I haven't got right. to be with her all day. But I also have been busy all day and I haven't been able to scroll Twitter or whatever else. And so it's, it can really start to overtake things implicitly, like without trying. And that's like Mm -hmm. so much of what I write, not only through the newsletter every week, but also through the book is not, I'm not anti-social media. I, I never really advise people to like log off or delete their accounts 
completely. I think that can mm-hmm. be really helpful and really like a really good, even like ritual practice you do a couple times a year. But I think if we get this idea that, mm-hmm. oh, if I just delete my accounts, I'll erase social media's influence from my life. I think that's a bit foolish. A, because uh, it's hard to do that period. And B, even if you delete it from your personal life, it's still going to impact you in a lot of ways. I, I, I joke. Okay. I think, run down, run down that road a little bit because yeah. I don't think most people think that. So if, yeah. the, if I deleted my Twitter account, delete my Instagram, got all the apps off my phone, you know, just shut the accounts down and never do it. How, how am I still going to be affected by social media? Yeah. So, um, I'll share a personal story of how I've seen this happen and then I'll share more general. So I speak with my 88 year old grandmother every Sunday while I'm making dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, I make dinner occasionally throughout the week. We kind of trade off and on Susie and I, but on Sundays I almost always am making dinner for one reason or another. Um, and so on Sunday I always call my grandma while I'm making dinner. She's never used the internet in her life. Um, until Mm -hmm. in the last year or two, we, we actually replaced her 2003 flip phone, with a uh, like the <laughs> lowest level iPhone, so that she could access yeah. our Apple Photo album that we put pictures of our daughter yeah. in because we don't post pictures of her online. Yeah. Shocker. Um, yeah. And so, but she's never used social media and has never used the internet. She doesn't even know how to text. Like she is terrified wow. of it. I talk to her every Sunday, and at least two Sundays out of every month, she will bring up to me something that one of her friends saw on Facebook and that she wants mm-hmm. to know more about through talking to me. Um, okay. So my grandmother, who's never used the internet, let alone social mm-hmm. media, is regularly bringing up social media content to me. In fact, one time in the fall of this past year, she had been duped by fake news on Facebook. And okay. she was so fired up. Marty, you might get a kick out of this. She was so fired. What it was, and, and you'll appreciate this too, she, it was um, some friend of hers had posted a picture of the American flag with God bless America superimposed over top of it. And mm-hmm. uh, Facebook reportedly took it down. And, okay. and my grandmother said, can you believe they would do that? Who, how, how are they allowed to do that? Is there no First Amendment right? Is there a way for me to write to Facebook? I'm liable to write to them. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I've, I've worked in... I've had plenty of content rejected from Facebook before for all different kinds of reasons. And so I, I Google this and I find that it's like a common like folklore myth to make it sound yeah. like Facebook's like anti-America yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, my grandmother, who never uses social media, was just yeah. duped by fake news on Facebook. Are you joking mm-hmm. me? So, yeah. so like I can promise you that happens all over the place among people who aren't using social media. But also... If you just watch, if you watch the local news, if you watch like a, an afternoon talk show like the Ellen show or something like that, social media content mm-hmm. litters these programs all over the place. You know, there'll mm-hmm. be some super serious story on the ABC evening news and they'll be like, yeah, this flood in Brazil killed X number of people. It's terrible. But tonight, mm-hmm. as we end our night on World News Tonight with <laughs> yes. David Muir, check out this viral video about Roscoe the dog who got lost from his family. And, oh, isn't it so cute to see Roscoe? That's all we have for you tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. And it's just like, what in the world? Um, oh, and so, so social media, social media content and social media is everywhere. I mean – you know how many people were influenced by Twitter from 2016 through 2020 who probably don't have a Twitter account? I mean, just think about yeah. it because the entire news it's on cycle the, yeah, was it's driven on by sports. What? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's everywhere. And yeah. so, so of course, of course, you can, if you don't use social media, you can more easily limit the impact it has on your life mm-hmm. and how much are you are beholden to it. But if you think that if we just delete our accounts, it'll solve the problem, that's a bit, a bit foolish. So I asked you the other day, and something had broken in the news, I think. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I asked you the other day, um, did you think that we would ever that Pete, there would ever be a mass exodus from social media. And I, I can't, something was in the news. Maybe it was, it was probably another story about them stealing our content or getting our personal information. I can't remember. And uh, so I thought, okay, at some, and this is what I was thinking. Okay. At some point there's going to be a, there's going to be an inflection point where three quarters of a billion people are just going to choose to leave social media. And it's going to essentially be a ghost town compared to what it is right now. Um, and so I texted you and asked you that question and you're like, Nope, never going to happen. Uh, people are just going to move to a different, if Facebook shuts down, they're just going to move to a different thing. So I want you to explain why you are so pessimistic about my desire for, for people to leave social media. (laughs) (sighs) That's funny. Um, because I, I just, I don't have like a really smart reason for that. I just think it's a bell that's been rung that can't be unrung. It's like, would we ever stop using electricity if it ended up burning too many houses down? Well, no. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we would just figure out ways to harness it better or something. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, I don't, I think we crave what social media gives us too much. And what it gives us is affirmation, pats on the back, entertainment. And I don't think, like, I think it's fine to be entertained by social media. TikTok, I'm ashamed to say, TikTok is my favorite social media platform right now. Because, it's the spiritual successor to Vine, which is my favorite social media platform right. of all time. Um, right. And, and of course, TikTok is littered with plenty of stuff that I don't want to watch and shouldn't watch. Mm. But there's also some, like, really talented singing, singers on there. There's some really funny, like, comedians on there. And I don't think it's wrong to be entertained by that. But if if we found out that, yeah, actually, communist China is using TikTok to spy on Americans, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'd drop TikTok, but I'd find something else to entertain me or or otherwise expose me to the kind of content that I was looking for on TikTok. And I think the same thing goes for, I mean, we've seen it happen before where MySpace ended up not fil- fulfilling a need and Facebook came mm-hmm. along. And, and I think, mm-hmm. so I, I don't have any reason to believe we will abandon the medium of social media, though definitely we will, I think we will, I think I said to you, I'm looking at the text, there'll be a sort of nomadic roaming from platform to platform. Yeah, I think that will happen. And I don't. Th- I'm not here to proclaim the death of Facebook or anything like that. Um, right. Though, though you want to talk about things, I'd be pe- uh, optimistic about. But I, I think <laughs> there will always be something. My hope is, is it starts to trend more toward less predatory forms in terms of using our personal mm-hmm. data for for a profit. But yeah, I think people will mm-hmm. always find a way to express themselves and try to look for love and like like affirmation on the internet for sure. The book is Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media by Chris Martin. Uh, so, Chris, you're on Twitter still, at ChrisMartin17, is that right? Yes. And your uh, your subscription newsletter is termsofservice.substack.com, is that right? Yep, they can find it there, or even termsofservice.social, either one. It's in my Twitter bio, so that's probably the best, okay. easiest place to find it. Cool. Uh, check this book out, y'all. It's um, it's good, and you can get it wherever you buy books. Chris, thanks a lot for hanging out, man. Thanks. It was good to hang out, Marty. Good to talk to you. 
As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at UncommentaryPod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Uncommentary Podcast.